Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Dublin Tech Talks, uh, brought to you in association with Icon Accounting. Um, delighted to be back on today's show. We're going to be continuing our product theme. Uh, we're speaking with Emma Mulholland, who's Principal Product Manager at Instill Software, uh, based up in Belfast. Uh, she is also the founder of Product Tank, uh, product Tank Belfast, uh, Product Camp Belfast, and organizes a lot of lean coffees um, with the, up in Belfast. She's a... Um, known thought leader within this space and on this show we're going to be talking around her journey within product um empathy within product which is um she says one of the superpowers and everything else that uh, we could think about so i hope you enjoy and we'll talk to you soon thank you now so emma for joining us today on the podcast uh, it's great to see you cool thank you very much for having me um, so I gave it a little bit of a background in, in, in my introduction, but do you want to maybe tell people who you are and kind of what you've been up to and, and where you sit within within the product world? Sure, sure. Um, cool. So um, like I said, my name is Emma Mulholland. I'm currently Principal Product Manager at Instill. So Instill um, was traditionally a software consultancy in Belfast, and we're kind of moving ourselves to be more of a product practice, which is quite exciting. So I work with um, the design team and we are starting to build in product management. So that's all cool. Um, within Belfast, um, I uh, I work um, or I run a couple of different product meetups. Um, so we've got Lean Coffee, which um, runs monthly and that covers product and agile and a load of other weird and wonderful things. It's just a talking shop um, where we get to talk about um, lots of cool things. Um, and then there's also Product Tank Belfast, which I set up a few years ago. It's it's kind of running now quite happily um, with other people, but um, we, we got it up and running. Um, and then finally, there's Product Camp Belfast, which we had two years running and then had a little hiatus last year when the world went mad, um, but we'll be coming back again this summer. Um, so yeah, um, I've, I've also done other things in Belfast, worked for a couple of other places, large and small. But prior to that, it's only been in the last, say, five years, prior to that, I was uh, based over in England and worked in e-commerce for about 10 years. Brilliant. And that's covered. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> there seems to be a real good appetite up in, if, if you're able to get three type meetups or kind of talk events as talk shops, as you say, up in Belfast, it's a, you know, it, it, is it a growing environment up Belfast way or, or kind of where, where does yeah. product sit within the environment there? Yeah, for, for sure. It's, it's a really exciting time for product in Belfast. So like I said, I, I came back to Belfast maybe five years ago. And um, I think when I first landed, I wasn't sure if I was even going to be staying in Ireland. I kind of, I'd taken a gap year, my second gap year indulgently, um, after working for 10 years in London. And I kind of ended up back here. And I had this decision point about whether to stay or, um, you know, there was options to go to um, Canada and other places. And um, after a couple of months, there was no talk of product. There was no rules. There was nothing happening. And then there was this like really exciting um, opportunity in Allstate where they were creating this kind of um, product lab, this lean thinking, um, this, uh, this this like XP lab, uh, very like Pivotal. They were partnering with Pivotal to set it up. And so I ended up staying with that. And from that beginning where product wasn't really happening in Belfast at all, we kind of we set up Product Tank because we kind of had people starting to work in Allstate and working in this way. And I wanted to see if there was any other interest in Belfast. And the first, I think the first time 
we ran, there was maybe five people in a pub. And for that first year, you'd kind of have a couple of people in a pub meeting and chatting. And then it's just grown and grown and grown over the last couple of years. And where we are now in Belfast is it's at a point where the role is understood. We've now got a pipeline of people coming through. So we have product managers. You can see more senior roles coming through. We've had the first couple of like head of product roles. We even had one or two uh, CPO roles coming through in Belfast. And there's a real appetite for it. Um, I think Belfast was kind of seen as an engineering hub and quite often they'd be the offshore component to like big companies, a lot of American companies, et cetera. And their engineers were in Belfast, but a lot of the strategy and the product thinking would be in the home base. And that is now changing and changing quite dramatically. They're, they're kind of putting, they're empowering the teams in Belfast. They're moving into kind of more agile ways of working. So they want product managers to be based with engineers and they want them to have the authority and kind of empower them to make those decisions and to have some of that kind of that thinking happening. Um, and it's just it's just started to explode, which is why we've now got, there's actually, I think, over a thousand people in Product Tank Belfast, kind of compared oh. to like those, I don't know, like yeah. five or six people that met in the pub that first night. It's like, it's just, you know, it, it's grown. Um, it's it's grown enormously. Um, it's it's great to see for somewhere like um, like Belfast that would, as you mentioned, been seen as maybe a low cost third party environment or kind of ecosystem for a lot of the a good few of the American American multinationals. The the I was up at Belfast probably about four years ago, last time work wise, and uh, I was surprised at how vibrant the city was, and it it seemed like a very young city, and 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 I I think that's kind of translated in a few of the businesses that are starting to do really really well in in Belfast and a lot of the SaaS based ecosystem that is there. So I'm guessing that has empowered a lot of the product thinking and and people within the the mindset of what is product and that ecosystem of people talking to each other and founders yeah. becoming the the new leaders within business. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's there's a really strong startup culture. There's a lot of investment, and there's there's a whole range of skills. So you, you kind of get this really nice heating mixture that that's not happening. Um, and there is a very, like you said, is there's a vibrant feeling, and there's 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 a lot of confidence as well in Belfast. And you you start seeing it. You start seeing polls now that say that Belfast is one of the best places to live and work, and it's like a really strong tech hub. And and I think it's still at that nice point where the quality of life and the cost of living. The quality of life is really high and the cost of living is still fairly manageable do you know what i mean you can afford to live yeah. there really easily and the salaries are really nice so you know and it's it's just a beautiful city to be in so it's um yeah it's it's um kind of i was going to say prefix that with before the pandemic because the whole world's changed but the strange thing <laughs> is even with the pandemic happening there's still so much growth within the technology sector do you know, do you know what i mean yeah. you still see all these like um job openings and people moving between companies and it um I think technology lends itself to remote working anyway, so I don't think it impacted particularly um, upon the city. It's you know, it's there's still a lot of um, confidence there and um, vibrancy. Same, same as Dublin, I was I was actually surprised when I thought things would die. It's as busy as ever, if not busier, and you know, companies are powering through, and it's great. You know, in, in watching it all, it's 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 it's. It's nearly like people just went, oh yeah, it's done. Let's let's move on. <laughs> you know, we'll all we'll all work from home forever, uh, and if we don't, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, you, you you seem very passionate about product, and you know, the, the couple of times I spoke with you now, your 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 personality probably lends a lot to that. Um, you know, how did you 
migrate from where you were, say, to, on the business analyst side and, and move into product? Or, or what was that personal evolution to see that you wanted to be more product focused? Oh, sure. This is a, it's kind of a tragic tale. It's not a tragic tale, but it, it does just show. It's like day and night um, when you've worked mm. in one way and then you work in another. But two different points in my life, I did these big, huge three-year waterfall programs of work. Um, and each time they were incredibly traumatic and stressful and a lot of effort went into them. And then when they land, you know what I mean? It never yeah. quite lands as successfully as you expect or I'm going to be a bit cynical and not put into many details because, you know, um, it's seen as a success could tick because tick. It went live on a certain date. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And someone somewhere is making an, like a load of money. Someone's bonus was tied into that and it's gone live and woohoo. But if you are very customer orientated and you're using those metrics and you're getting that feedback, you know what I mean? You can quite quickly realize that if you've thought, I think, I think that my customer wants this thing and then they don't get it to three years later and that assumption's wrong. Do you know what I mean? You can't build yeah. an entire like web platform. Um, you know, and then just put it out there and it's going to be totally fine. So I just two different times I did that. And then both times we basically had to like optimize, optimize the platform quite quickly or use that kind of understanding of the metrics and get that customer feedback and react very quickly to actually make it what people wanted it to be or to make it, you know, competitive or whatever it needed to be three years since we passed. So some, li it. some live UAT um, was, was important, was it? <laughs> It's um, so um, and and I think once you once you've kind of worked that like one way and then you work in that more agile way where you switch to like fortnightly or monthly releases and you're very metrics driven and you're doing like um, you know rapid prototyping and having like assumptions and experiments and 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 getting the chance to kind of validate things and and get that feedback and get things like quickly, um, it's kind of you you can't really go back. Do you know what I mean? It makes you hungry mm. for that way of working. And it humbles you once you get used to testing things and running experiments and using this concept of validation as opposed to just this is my baby, this is my idea, and it's totally right and it's going out there. It it does humble you and it makes you want to work that way because you you kind of want to get that feedback. You know, you want to test yeah. your ideas and and get that confidence and have those little kind of pivots and work out where you're going through the data as opposed to just you know some hippo's idea. <laughs> And and that's great for you to discover that way, uh, you know. <laughs> and, and and with a lot of these things, it, it takes a while for people outside of the mindset that you might have for that to 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 adapt or to embrace it. Similar to remote working, similar mindsets of that, may I say. And yeah. you know, how how have you found the change of mindset of people that you're trying to influence in in that world? Is that a is that a harder part? Because you clearly bought into it and went, yeah, this is the way we need to release product. This is how we work. Um, a lot of people might say that's just not the way we do it. How, how did you influence that? Or how did you look at that as a challenge and, and overcome it? Um, it? It's specifically where I am now, or just generally, if you're just, just trying general. to chat to people no, and give just, us a change. Yeah. Um, well, what have you seen maybe over... Sorry, with the, the last five years, even in Belfast, with the with the evolution of product there, you know, yeah. how have how have that ecosystem pushed on? Yeah. There's um there's there's a couple of times when you've seen real light bulb moments or when where they said there's that word hum, humbled when people are like, Oh, right, okay. So like it's not that obvious. Because something you'll find a lot. 
you know you're talking to a designer, you're talking to an engineer, and you're arguing over whether something should look like something or be a drop down or blah, blah, blah. And it all seems very obvious to each of you. It's like, well, obviously they want to do X and obviously they want to do Y. And then you tested and actually they didn't want to do either of those things. And it, do you know what I mean? It does kind of humble you because it makes you realize that actually what you think's obvious or your interpretation of the world is not what everyone else's interpretation of the world is in any way, shape or form. And so the, what I find is the easiest way to kind of start to influence people is to just get them into some kind of user testing or let them run with their idea and be like, okay, cool. Do you think that dead on? Let's prototype it. Let's get some users in. Let's see people use it and 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 let that drive it as opposed to, you know, like have these big, big, big long programs. Hi. <laughs> and, Hi. Uh, and you know, and then realize afterwards, get that feedback. So hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, Dawa. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. I'm and just gonna press. There we go. Uh, we're joined now with Dawa Royley as well. So welcome to the show, Dawa. Hi, thanks very much, Gavin. Uh, nice to be here. Do you want to just give um, give everybody just a, a brief outline of or update or how would you say that? Give us a brief introduction. Intro. There we go. There's the okay, words I was yeah. um, So I'm the head of product design at Clever Cards. Um, we're a fintech based in Dublin. Everybody's currently remote. Um, so my background is fintech consultancy um, startups predominantly in the UK, um, such as Curve, Receipt Bank, and also large tech companies in the US. I've worked at, for Google as a consultant, Intel and Adobe, um, more recently at Booking.com in the travel sector, and helping companies with their digital transformation. Well, it's Great to have you. Um, so we were just speaking uh, there with Emma just about how she influences product thoughts and, and methodologies over, over time and how, how, how Emma moved into product and, and the why reason really. So do you want to continue there, Emma? Um, sure. I, I think I was actually going to start an interesting conversation around kind of people jumping into the solution space as opposed to understanding the problem space because you're right yeah. people are solution focused and trying mm -hmm. to push them back into falling in love with the problem is quite difficult at times yeah it's true um, isn't it um and also like con convincing like it's, it's kind of you know it's good to get going with things like the kind of new school of product management is definitely on the agile end of things rather than waterfall and I think everybody's kind of moved over to this you know new way of working when I say new it's been around for 10 years but there's still some folks stuck in the waterfall way but it's it's like how do you give product designers and product managers time to go and figure out what the real problems are and the user needs are whilst the development team's scoping out the tech end of of the problem space and then bringing the two together because you can build like a very basic mvp which doesn't meet the, the user needs that but the problem with that is you can get stuck with it and you never kind of iterate beyond it. So the users start using it. You get uh, metrics back that prove that it works as a solution that's generating revenue. So it's then shifting the mindset back to the original problems and doing more research. Like that's challenging if you kind of go down the solutioning route too quickly, right? Yeah. There's. Um... What, what do you think about yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Do you know the, the whole double diamond thing where you kind of, you do your problem space discovery and your solution space discovery? I think, 
I kind of like that. I, I guess where you're coming from, though, is if you've got if they're if basically whoever's funding this work is trying to get the product and design people working, kicking off at the same time as the technology people. And then you don't have any runway to do your like investigations. And mm. is that what you're saying? Because yeah. they're just trying to build before you've had a solid discovery period. Right. Because I because I'm trying to get my head around that as well as a consultancy. We we're trying to, I guess, try and explain to, to clients the importance of that discovery period because it's very hard mm. to explain because they don't get a tangible mm-hmm. working piece of software necessarily for a couple of weeks yeah. worth of work it's like well why why am I giving you money just you know because right. so trying to trying to um show the value of that research yeah. is, is is difficult but, but I think, like you said yeah. it is critical because otherwise you could end up with a sub uh product yeah yeah, yeah. and, and is, is that a is that a an educational thing and just nearly a, as I think that was you said you know people are used to doing it one way and it's um you know it's, it's how, how people think about it and how they understand what new looks like and they nearly have to be seen you know yet your influencing skills are so important in that side of 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 your of your role I'm guessing I think it's like a lot of companies it's a speed to market like they just want to get things out yesterday right so the agile approach achieves that very well it's very suited to kind of modern times of rapidly discovering things right but then it it's, has to compromise on fully understanding the problem space and the user needs and it's like how can you do that in tandem maybe it's just taking a snapshot of features or a scale back version and saying, is this adequate? Like a lot of it is like discovering what is MVP um, and what are the core needs that are gonna be met by the first version? And then how would you scale it to either a wider audience or a bigger feature set? Like how do you sell, how do you, how do you, how do you lock down MVP, Emma, with your, some of your clients? How do you arrive at MVP and justify those decisions? of features that go into it um so i'm fairly new to my current consultancy but when when i was working in Allstate, i kind of explained before we had this internal lab which is almost like an internal consultancy and we would work in xp um and we would have these projects these internal projects that um where we would have versions of an mvp but for us it was locked down almost to a time box so mm-hmm. we kind of have, right, if we want to build something in 10 weeks or 12 weeks, and then you'd kind of have a, like a, a product inception where you'd, you'd spend time understanding a couple of days, building up your concept of your personas and a journey map, and then kind of journey map out your releases. And then if you t-shirt size them, and, and this actually, to go back to the very first question, how do you influence people to understand the theory? When you were working with business people who'd only ever done these big specs and given them over to their IT partners and not interacted with them for years, for them to be involved in that and understand it and then actually get to shape everyone's understanding of the user and to like give us a good and like a good understanding of that journey and for us to push back in them for like not just to be proxy people but you know to get actual real data to get that happening. Mm-hmm. Like they love that. And then when you t-shirt sized t-shirt sized out that journey, you could kind of all agree on what that MVP was going to be. So like what goal you were achieving or what, you know, what was the friction point you were fixing or something. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the room was aligned to that, but it was based on a time box and t-shirt sizing. 
And then what was interesting was after we kicked off, I remember we were in the second or third week and the business partners had decided that they wanted to change the priorities. And because they'd understood how we built up that concept of what the MVP was, they could literally go, right, we want to take out this, this block of work and put in this block of work. And this is the reason we want to put it in. Mm. We think this is more valuable because, yeah. you know, measurably because it's this user value or it's yeah. a greater risk or I can't remember the specifics, but I just remember that was another one of those light bulb moments when I was mm. like, this is the easiest conversation with a business partner I've ever had in my life. Because usually it's like yeah. increase scope and that's it. You know, they're not, yeah. de- they're not increasing time or cost. It's just shoving more shit yeah. into that. Yeah. Whereas this, they went, you know what? We, we get this. We, we get why you're doing it and we get what you felt out. And we kind of respect that. So actually we're, we're asking for a swap. And that was right. just beautiful. But, uh, yeah, um, that's great. But, um, but saying that, there wasn't as much of a discovery period as I would have liked. We, we, we went very um, dual track. So we had a des- mm. product designer and they were kind of prototyping and testing. But like you said, solution focused to like a sprint or two out. So it was that mm-hmm. dual track development, but yeah. probably very light touch discovery yeah. on the solution as opposed to, like you said, the deeper mm. into the problem. So yeah I think one thing that I've I've learned as I go is is the value of data like data points because you can't really argue with that it's kind of not subjective like the more insights you have about users from looking at analytics and metrics particularly when you get a business intelligence um, analyst involved and you kind of are tracking product metrics or customer insight metrics they become very powerful with convincing team members like developers or business folks that this is the right way to go and even making business decisions how can you tie that to metrics in terms of the product right and and user behavior and trying to get to those as quickly as possible the the, the data insights because they're really powerful Um, I think the challenges are when you don't have all the data that you need to make the decisions um, and there's gaps in your data that that becomes challenging as well um how will you um, find um, yeah sorry go ahead gavin sorry i was just on, and on that the, the, the data side of it because there's lots of companies out there that probably like to think they're using their data in the right way but it's you know to drive those decisions um without that is that a you know that is the influencing skills needed within product management to be able to say you know this is going to be right or when you don't actually have the the goal of what the what the product is actually doing it's you know how, how, how do you communicate that what's the best way of that is that building up the the relationship with the with the stakeholder and really getting them to trust you or you know what way do you go about it emma you go um i think it's mostly around um engagement and collaboration and alignment the whole way along so you need a strong narrative and you need to feel very strongly about your views but typically if you can bring the stakeholders along and come to that agreement together at each point do you know what's what's helpful for it is workshops workshops solve everything but no it's like um you know like if you've different canvases there are so many different canvases but even something basic like like the lean canvas where you get everyone in a room and you're like, okay, like, do we all agree what who the user is or what our objectives are or like what the solution is? Or I think if you get people to input and, and align continuously, then that's helpful as opposed to just presenting people with 
taking place and being like, that's it, because then they feel uh, sometimes in the back boot or like they don't have control over it or they're disconnected mm. from it. Yeah. But if they've actually influenced it or understand it, then that's, yeah. that's helpful. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that the more you can involve stakeholders and end clients in design decisions earlier on and getting their feedback and input so it becomes like a collaborative process the more they buy into the final solution because they feel ownership of it as opposed to here's the solution now go and use it and it's the same with users too and user testing the more they can be bought in early on with that and get their feedback and input the more likely they are to want to use your product and also the product's better because it's optimized for their actual needs and a use case so definitely involving stakeholders and, and, and users early on in the process as much as possible. And this co-design collaboration is, is really important, I think. And, and, and people that don't, products that haven't done that, would you say, you know, can you, can you identify them pretty quickly of either when you're going in on site M and you've seen, you've looked at previous projects or you, you ones that you've used yourself over time and you went okay they really didn't listen to the customer here or listen to, to the users yeah is, is, is that pretty easy to identify i think it is i think it i think when you don't have enough knowledge of customers it's reflected in things like customer service volumes so you get a lot of customer service calls and you get see patterns of where they ask the same questions repeatedly and you're like well this is clearly a pain point that we're not solving via our current app or FAQs or web experience. Um, so I think when you start to see patterns of, of user problems, it's quite powerful that this is a real problem that you have to fix that was clearly overlooked in earlier um, versions. And how, how do you go about that, Emma? Yeah. Sorry, just on the user, um, I, I just how, how would you go about that? Sorry, bringing the user, sorry. looking on the user side. Yeah, sorry. Uh, getting them bought in to, to try to, to get just, feedback. Just, just what Dao was sorry. saying there. Sorry, just a continuation of what Dao was saying there. Oh, so the metrics show that there's pain points or friction points or things aren't being used correctly. So how do you then get people into yeah. to remedy that? Um, not sure I actually understand the question. I actually don't sure where <laughs> my question went there either. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Emma, 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 Emma was about to say something about Emma's, what I was, um, just carry on. Just something, quite am, um, just something quite amusing. Well, maybe not amusing, but um, I've got the book there as well, Invisible Women. There's so many examples of things that have been designed that haven't considered women because they've been designed by men. Do you know from things as simple as like... Um, like cars, because test crash drum dummies were, were male dummies, that men or women are much more likely to die in a car crash. Mm -hmm. But I was just thinking, I remember seeing someone on Twitter that like, was it Fitbit or there was some technical product that allowed you to track your period, but actually didn't even have enough days in it or something. Like there were some mm -hmm. basic things that's like, I can't actually track this properly because obviously yeah. you haven't had a lot of feedback. You haven't had a woman design right. this. And this is like a menstrual cycle is, is innately a female thing. So uh -huh. why you've got men trying to design this? But I think it was just because they were trying to be like, you know, oh, we need something to attract the women for this product. I don't know. Mm. Let's be able to track this as well. But didn't actually be the thought into. So sometimes yeah. it's obvious or even like phones that don't fit into women's hands or I sure. don't know. Um, That's true. It's like the product, product like design fails, right? <laughs> product design yes. bible um, 
so yes Definitely. there's some very obvious ones yeah um but I, I think there was probably more of a serious question there you were asking about how do you get user engagement or stakeholder engagement earlier? Was that it? It was just kind of around, you know, the the engage. Yeah, my my question more was around this. You know, we've we've talked about bringing the stakeholder journey along, um, but but as Dawa said, there you can you can notice when the users are, aren't happy when there's high levels of volumes of calls. There's lack of engagement within, say, a, the web app or app, or you know, mm. pe people have dropped baskets within e-commerce. You know. How do you bring that engagement along along the line on the user side? Well, I, th I think that goes back to the discovery piece again. Like it's all about understanding users. Like it sounds so basic, but it's something that people just don't, for whatever reason, I think it's a time money factor or they don't see the value in it until you've sat with users. They, I have so much respect for them because they have, users have all the answers, right? Like they they can tell you what's wrong with something that we wouldn't necessarily see or even a CEO wouldn't see, but they can tell you immediately. It's, it's kind of, you know, comes out of use and familiarity with something and, and who's, who's more familiar with it than your end users, right? So everyone within a company should use the products. Like it's like a very Google pro, um, approach, I guess, about, um, you know, eating your own dog food. So I think that's probably the number one. But yeah, being familiar with the user's pain points, um, getting to know your customer service team very well and having regular check-ins with them, looking at the data, getting business intelligence folks, speaking with users. Um, also, if you iterate on something, I think it's always good to start with kind of a benchmark metric of, of where the experience is at now, make a change to a UI and try to, before you make a change, have a hypothesis on what you expect to see would be different. So you can measure against your initial um, assumptions and metrics to then attribute that change to something. So you're not just kind of making things willy nilly that you can back up your design decisions um, and roll back if necessary. But I think, again, it comes back to data um, and data insights being really powerful now in product design. Anything else on that, Emma? I am. Um, could you tell us, like, as the beginning of a thought? Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I did have the beginning of, of, a, of a thought in, in line with this as well, which is um, assumptions mapping and trying to document all your assumptions. Um, to, 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 to then be able to prove later if they're right or wrong. Do you know what I mean? I, I think, yeah. like you said, at the very beginning, everything is an assumption mm -hmm. and you're basing so many decisions and things that are just assumptions. And then after a while, you sometimes forget that, that what those assumptions were. Do you know what I mean? Like, because they've just become intrinsic mm -hmm. knowledge or what people think is the way of the world, but actually they may still only be assumptions. Mm -hmm. It sounds really obvious, but it, it generally isn't a lot of the time if you say I think this or I feel this it shows that actually there isn't evidence do you know what I mean you and so yeah. you should be always tracking that and mm. and and mapping them out and then trying to understand how those assumptions are influencing decisions or or making sure that you can work out over time if they're right or wrong and and that after a while the assumptions then become your concrete mm. your concrete base do you know like you then mm -hmm. begin to have like a true North Star or whatever the, the word would be, because North Star is more like almost like an objective, but you almost have like a concrete skeleton of, of indisputable, like you were talking about baseline metrics. Mm. You could get to a point where you have like 
solid assumptions mm. as, as your evidence base has built yeah. up. You've got this knowledge base of all these experiments you've run and mm. you've started with these prototypes, like these very early stage personas. But then after a while, they become really solid mm. after all these experiments and all these things. Mm. Um, and you, so if you come up with those assumptions and then start to have very concrete yeah. facts that will drive decisions. It's true. Um, I yeah. think that would be good. Yeah. And, and what happens not, there? You just if, don't often get to that point. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, what would, ha what would happen idea. there if, sorry, if, if, if you have an assumption and it's proved completely wrong? So you're, you're assuming that your product is going to be focused at X and you've spent a, a decent chunk of your budget already going that direction. And then over time, through data and through listening to your users and, and all the tools that are there that, you know, you have to pivot quickly to move and, and save what you're trying to do. Yeah, that, is, that's is that a you, common problem? Well, I think that's when you have to go out and raise additional rounds of funding. So you're going to have to do, <laughs> you're have to do a lot of work to correct it. it depends on how much work like most things can be done iteratively like it's i think it's important not to throw the baby out with the bathwater because everything you previously didn't learn you you learned something that it was wrong right so that's a valuable insight in and of itself and i think it is being like um emma said like tracking your initial assumptions being like willing to question them look at them critically and continually like seeking to improve in product and and being willing to do that because i think being so stuck with your ideas as being right and is a bigger danger than being willing to say now that was completely wrong now let's change our approach and tack here because i think a lot of it is emergent like it's an emergent process product design so you learn from doing it you learn almost from your mistakes um so like that's the beauty i think of the the, the modern approach to it so like post you know waterfall the more kind of recent experiment data driven type product design is you can change very quickly because a new insight might come out of your research and you, you you may discover something unexpected like a lot of inventions came out of random experiments and discoveries right that you wouldn't have even known there was a use case for a particular product but it, it came out out of an accident um like a lot of scientific discoveries were made that way so i think the same can apply to product design um and then you go off on a completely different tangent but i think it's it can be a challenge when you've already got a user base and you have to continue to meet their needs but you want to iterate in a completely new direction how do you grandfather over the existing user base smoothly into the new product like that in and of itself presents challenges have you ever encountered something like that emma when you've radically been on a product that's or project that's changed direction how do you handle that um yeah. i haven't but do you know what came to mind um oh i'm not going to remember the name of it do you remember you used to check into things force force where do you remember? And then they did that weird thing and they switched to Swarm and then everyone just got confused for a while. And I think they had this product strategy where they wanted to become like, you know, like a like the yellow pages or whatever, like a product directory of mm. like services or something, as well as a check-in. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or yes. am I just rambling that? But I, I was one of those really sad people that used to check in everywhere yeah. I went. But yeah. also it just meant like slightly stalkery, especially when I was in London, like you could walk out of the office and you'd see pings of like what bars your friends were at and you can easily work out yeah. where to go with that now but um and I had hundreds of different things I checked in at and that product pivot kind of just killed the product for everyone do you know what I mean mm. like it quite quickly people stopped using it and I don't know yeah, why they true. did it 
and I don't mm-hmm. know they split into two different things it didn't make sense yeah well branded there was right. 90s to I, yeah I but it's know. kind I of just... like uh, some sometimes improvements can kill the product like that's really interesting I mean MySpace is a prime example of that like they rebranded it and everyone missed the old school way of being able to create these funky pages and like old school design my my emo-ness is coming out do you know when you had like I do you know sorry I laughed do you remember having this really serious conversation when Facebook first came out like who the hell would ever use that like it's exactly the same it's not individual at all you yeah. totally want to have like individual pages yeah I can't play wrong with that or, or that's not my that's not for me Facebook that's for somebody <laughs> a bit older because I'm too cool over here yeah but the, but it's a big challenge for companies like how do you pivot and completely change what customers are used to even if it's not the best user experience right you can like, I think that's why Facebook has stuck with its old design, even though it's not optimized entirely, because they don't want to make this massive change because they're worried about the drop off that might happen. Like Google managed to do that very successfully with their search engine, but it was very incremental and their UI is a lot more simple. But if you're going to pivot radically, even if you're delivering a better experience in, in your mindset you might miss the whole point of why users are attracted to your project like myspace did i mean products so why they use it what keeps them coming back and i think you have to understand that fundamentally before you make these big pivots because they may just vacate especially as something better comes along as well so it's it's a challenge to to keep it relevant and sticky i think and and also pivot it's a massive challenge. Um, I think it'd be a, a good analysis to look at why do products die? You know, like what, what, um, you know, what was the reason? What was the, the, the design decision or product decision that teams made that just killed it off completely? Because there's a, a lot of learning in that too, right? Not to make those same mistakes with your product. I don't know if I emailed people from Bebo and MySpace, they'd come back to me and, and answer that for me. Uh, they probably wouldn't want to say, they probably heads are still in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm conscious of time, so um, I, we're, we're wrapping up on that. Uh, what, why do products die? That could be our, our next talk. Um, but no, thanks for your time, Emma, um, especially on your on your half day. Uh, get out and enjoy the sunshine. Uh, Dawa, great seeing you, and, and thanks for your contribution. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thank Talk you. Okay, have a that. good day. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed that. That was uh, Emma Mulholland and Dawa Riley. Um, really interesting talk around product, how we influence within that environment, the the needs of the customer and the user, and, and how how important that is into product. Um, if you enjoyed that, please subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel or on our social channels um, and our podcasts. A lot more to come in the product area and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks a lot.